Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Dew. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, as you no doubt have noticed by now, we're sharing more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Hey, here we are. Hello, hello, hello. Howdy, howdy. I am Feeling that applause today. This is our first live, like our first recorded podcast in a couple of weeks. So we're back, cool. baby. We're back. Yeah. You know, it's it was just a matter of being, you know, a little overloaded, trying to get used to the new schedule, having to go to bed at a very specific time, get up a very specific time, get out of the house, get going. And anytime you have a change that massive, one of the things it does, it throws your schedule off. Yes. And it throws you, it can throw your sleep schedule off. And Let's just say that the first four, the first week, we're going into the third week now. Yeah. Uh, the first wise. week was, was sort of a shock, but that was like, you know, sheer adrenaline. The second week was better, you know, except that I wasn't able to, to get much rest over this past weekend because I had a lot of, a lot of busy, busyness. Mm-hmm. Then this week, so today is the first day back and I feel, I feel decent. How about- you know, I'm, I was hoping to have a little more pep in my step when I came home today. I have plans. I always have grand plans about what I'm going to do when I get home, what I'm going to do over the weekend. And I'm. this has been an exercise in scaling down my plans. You actually got some work done in the car while we were driving. I you? did because I have a laptop with enough memory now that I can a actually- A new laptop. A new laptop that I can yeah. actually edit promos in the car, which is great because, you know, that would have been an hour after work at home, which is precious, precious time. So being able to work in the car is a huge blessing. Yeah. You know, so- yeah. And I'm, I pretty much drive with, with a, a sense of, of, fugue state. I, I I pretty much just flow while I'm driving. So it's it's not as much of a push for me, given certain conditions, like I'm not nervous about where I'm going or you know how I'm going to get there or anything like that. So 
it, it feels it feels okay to me. I mean, just trying to figure out what the roles are here. And the, the, the trick is that right about the time we figure this out, the room will be over. It will you be know? of yes, will, I'm already over. Morning. I'm already morning because Friday will be at the end of the halfway point. Right. Yes. And, and you know, that's scary. It's scary. And hopefully what will happen, you know, after that is we'll roll into another project. We've got a ton of stuff that is happening. And my guess is that by the time we're through with this, we'll be seeing things a little bit differently. We'll have different ideas and different contacts and we'll see what happens. The um, thing that, anything, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say the thing that I'm I'm really excited about, despite everything we've been saying about how tiring it is, is that the morning routines that we've been practicing for years, and I have to thank you, darling, for really, you know, sometimes reluctantly pulling me along with, well, yoga at first and, and kettlebells and meditation and walking in the morning ritual, all that stuff is part of what I'm cramming into the that quick time in the morning like that we have before we have to leave and I will tell you it's a lifesaver yeah it uh, is the, the amount of nervousness i feel because this is you know i have no idea what will happen next but i do know that this is some time spent in a space that i've been trying to get into for decades yes and i can't overestimate how important it is having a sense of urgency about it you know, to understand this is the moment and that I can't offer an excuse later on. I didn't know that this was important. I had no idea how important this was going to be. No, 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 no. None of that. I get it. You know, it's we like, it's totally we, really, it. we really have to kind of, you know, say that every morning. And if nothing else, I want to make sure I don't want to, I don't, don't want to let you down. And I don't want to Me. let you down. Yeah, you, oh. my partner. Oh, you know, you, I don't want to let you down. I don't want to let the showrunner who gave us this wonderful opportunity down. I don't want to let my team down. I want to make a great show. Right. And I think that my head's in the right place. All that's, you know, all all that remains then is to do the work. Do and the work, do it baby. At the very best level that we can. And, you know, what happens, happens. Absolutely. And I, one of the reasons I'm so excited about our upcoming guest is that we actually were reunited with him at a dinner almost a week ago with the, the Horror Noir team from the Horror Noir Anthology film that was on Shudder and AMC+. And he gave me a couple of pieces of advice for pitching in a room that I have been using this week. And oh, I, I want to hear this. Great result. I mean, great results. But let, let me tell you all about this gentlemen. He is a writer, performer, broadcaster, like me, a journalist. Well, I will say former journalist for me. He received numerous awards, including three Peabody Awards, four National Edward R. Murrow Awards. Hey. Whoa. Since 2013, he's hosted and helped create public radio's first hour-long investigative journalism show, Reveal. Since Reveal, he gained a large audience and has heard in over 500 public radio stations, 100 million Download. So TV writing is like his side hustle, okay? Because as a screenwriter, he's written for AMC, Apple TV, Hulu. He's developed shows with FX, E1. Is that what it's called? E1? Letson got his start on stage as a performance poet where he established himself as a heavyweight in the Poetry Slam community being featured on venues such as, you know it, HBO's Death Comedy Jam and CBS's 2004 Final Four pregame. 
Drawing on his background as a performance poet, he seamlessly weaves spoken word into the fabric of his theater work. Did we mention the theater work? Solo performance in Summer and Sanctuary opened at the Abingdon Theater Company off-Broadway and ran for nine months at the Marsh in San Francisco. So multi-talented, amazing, and just a super person. Welcome, Alexa. You have packed the house with friends, sir, because they are loud. (laughs) They are wilding out. (laughs) So I'm dying to hear the 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 advice that you gave to Nunnery, but you know, we can wait for that. Just how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. It is such a pleasure to be on this podcast. I mean, you guys, like, I've been reading your work for years now. See, I keep going back and trying to remember what was the book, because I read several of your books when I was younger, like when I was like, you know, my early 20s, I guess. But there was one book and I cannot remember what it is. I got to go back and look. But Street oh, Label. Was it? Maybe. I don't remember what it was. Remember what it was it, about? Any, no, any? I just remember. I remember like it was this one book that I read that made me like, it was a sci-fi because I'm not really big on horror. Horror always scares me. I, I know. That. I accept I know. it. No, I'm sorry. I'm so, horror scares me, which is why in Horror Noir, my piece is funny because I was like, I'm, I'm too much of. But yeah, that you wrote a book that was a sci-fi thing. And like, literally, I was like, this is a black man writing. I can write sci-fi. And you can. Yeah, I can't. I can't write a novel like. Yeah, that was a big lion's ambition. blood. But, lion's but, blood was it? Lion's oh, blood? I think that's. I think that might have been what <gasps> alternate it was. history. Uh, yes, 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 yes. That's yeah, his yeah, master yeah. work. Master yes. work. It probably yes. is yes. for for a variety of reasons. That might be the best book I ever write. I mean, there. I I doubt I'll ever invest as much of myself in one book project. I mean, I would be willing to invest even more of myself in the right movie or right television project. But you know, life moves on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, it's it's an honor to be talking to you guys. And I did not get to make your Christmas party because right around that time, my best friend had passed away, and I was just oh, pretty. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry was, to hear uh, that. It was a tough That's time, but still, I was I was extremely honored to be on the invite list. So thank you. Well, you'll uh, be on it again. Thank <laughs> you. I will, I will be there next time. No, right. it wasn't. It, it wasn't unexpected. He uh, he had battled cancer for a little yep. bit, and uh, mm. it was time probably going to have a birthday we're probably going to rent a theater at universal city and do a birthday party of some movie sometime oh, in yes. March or april and we'll make sure to invite you absolutely I, I will be there i will be there Great. well that that gathering that the former amc executive crystal holt planned with the writers of horror noir including you and shrinald edwards i really should stop naming names because i'm just going to forget people but but i mean the, the, those of us who took part in that project got together and it was so magical just to yeah. reunite and honestly to feel like we were with peers because as mm-hmm. a novelist trying to break in from the outside i know speaking for me personally i've been very lucky and i've had produced television but having never been in a writer's room before, and so literally that gathering where I could exchange stories, and mm-hmm. I felt like, oh my god, my people, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it felt really nice. And and yeah. I want to share the advice that you gave, which was the key. What I mean, I hope it's not giving away your secrets. Okay, no, please, please. 
is that to pitch a beginning, middle, and end, that was one piece, and to also give them metaphors that help frame where we are in the conversation. And I did the first, I did them, I think the first one intentionally, where it was the first time where I kind of pitched a little mini scene, you know, I had been kind of strategic jumping in with the word here, a word there, but it was the first time I pitched a mini scene. And then I can't, I won't, I can't go into the details, but I will say that in terms of the thematic part, it was quoting a poem by a famous black poet and it, the whole room just erupted. And I was like, Oh, all I need to do is break out some poetry. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know whether or not, it's going to make it into the show, but I can no. tell you, it changed the tone of the room. Yeah. And it, and yeah. It suddenly, everybody, you can feel everybody say, oh, it's like that. Yeah. <laughs> we got to up our game. They're bring, she's bringing the poetry now. Yes. Which, who that am I talking excellent. to? An actual poet. So can you start, because you do so many things. I mean, we could do 12 podcasts on you just with that bio I read, but I'm going to join your life after death you know, poetry jam and like breaking into television. What did that look like for you? And and what advice do you have for people who want to do, who want to do that? Yeah. I mean, I think probably the, the, the number one advice I would have for really like anybody in any that, that wants to do anything is to just like when opportunity knocks, be ready to walk through the door. And for me, I, I just feel like I was really like, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, the stars aligned and everything just kind of happened at the right time. But it came after years of like kind of prepping to be prepared for that, even though I didn't know what it what it was. I had the long story is as far as TV is concerned. One of the things that like I, I left out of my bio is that like I had been trying to break into comic books for years. I'd written some I, I was a part of a class that DC Comics had of like 10 people that like to teach you how to learn how to write comics the DC way. I did like, you know, one little story with DC and I had opportunity to do more, but I really had this big story in my head that I wanted to do as a graphic novel. I started shopping it around. One company told me that like they, they loved it, but they needed a full blown out pitch, which like laid out everything. And I told him like I would do that, but it would take me about a month because it was a really big story. Mm-hmm. I did it while I was building the pitch. I was talking to the executive and she was talking back. And we were having good back and forths. And the day I turned in the pitch, she completely ghosted me. And I was so like I was because it was like a month's worth of work, but I didn't get any pay or anything for it. And she just ghosted me. So, you know, I kept working on the idea and things kept popping up in my head and I would scribble them down. If you looked in my office right now, I've got stickies everywhere of like ideas and things I want to do. And a year later, she called me and said, hey, I went on maternity leave. Things got crazy. I'm sorry, but I can't stop thinking about your idea. Let's do it. And I was like, well, the idea has grown because it's been a year and I've got more. It's actually better now. Like I I know this story, but it's going to take me, you know, another month or so to like get all the new stuff in. She was like, great. Over that time, we were talking about different artists who could take it on and all of this. I was excited. And the day I turned it into her, she ghosted me again. 
And that was in 2017, and I still haven't heard from her again. Oh, wow. my gosh. Yeah, but that whole thing. If you want to put her name was... in chat, I'd be happy to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think, don't you know, take like, her honestly, calls. I have nothing but, like, love for her now because all of that work I did, what my thought process was is that, like, I couldn't afford to hire a, an artist myself. So what I would do is I'd take all that work and I would just try to turn it into a novel. And I know that like, you know, a novelist is not my ministry. <laughs> like it's not the thing that I do really well, but I figured like, I want to tell this story. So that's what I'm going to do. And so my idea was that like, I was going to outline the hell out of it. And then I was going to start writing. And about a month before I was about to start writing, I got this random ass email from an executive at AMC, Carrie Gologli, who I will always like, if Carrie Gologli called me and said, like, we have to go to war, I'd be like, I will be at your house at dawn, point. That's <laughs> how know, we like, feel. That's how we feel about our showrunners. So we, we, yes, we, yes. We it's wonderful to meet people like that. There really are yes. wonderful people in, in this industry. And you Absolutely. find one of them, it's just like the lights coming on. Yes, you just, and, and that's what she, she was. And she, Called. She had heard another podcast that I had done, which was a an audio. It was called John Coffee Refuses to Save the World, and it was about a room full of magical Negroes figuring out that they were magical Negroes. And John Coffee was in this room with God from the Bruce and Evan Almighty movies, Mother Abigail, Bagger Vance, and one other character. And Legbo ends up in the room, and Legbo tells John. That he's not that, that he's a magical Negro. He's not real. And John's like, well, shit, I don't want to go out there and get electrocuted. Every, I'm, I'm not doing it. And God from the Boost and Evan Almighty movies is telling them you have to go. We all have to play our part. And so it's an argument between God-esque and devil-esque on the shoulders of John Coffey and them trying. And, and it's a farce. It's kind of funny. It's like it's all these things. That um, sounds unbelievable. Is, did, yeah, is, that a, is that a play? Yeah, it's a play. It's a play that I yeah. turned into a podcast. And so cause it was one of my plays that nobody was really performing. And so like I was like, I, I'm going to do it some kind of way. So Carrie heard that and realized that I wrote scripts. And so she wrote me and said, hey, have you ever thought about writing TV? And the truth of the matter is, is that like I always wanted to write TV, but didn't know how to break in. I had friends who wrote in TV and they kind of outlined what the typical path is, which is, you know, writer's assistant, room assistant, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and by that point, like I had kids in school and like I could not like stop doing what I was doing and move to L.A. And like, you know, I just couldn't. Mm -hmm. So when Carrie asked me, I was like, hell yes. <laughs> so she asked if we could have a meeting. I said, yeah. She asked me what was, if I had any ideas. I prepared all week for this meeting. So I had like 20 different ideas, but I had that big document that I wrote for that graphic novel, that whole world, like ready to go. So I just gave her the one line, which was like, it's Harry Potter meets the wire. And she was like, what? <laughs> Do you have anything on it? And of course, because... That executive, the, the comic book company executive had me write this big pitch. 
I had a pitch already. So I sent it to Carrie a week later. She signed me or she offered me a development deal with AMC and we started developing. And I, it took about, it, it took a good nine months for us actually to figure out what the story was in TV terms. And then, then I wrote the pilot, the pilot, the pilot did really well as far as like it, it did not get made by AMC, but it got so high up into AMC that like I was having you know, meetings with vice presidents to talk about it. Or with well, actually, he's not a vice president; he's a president of of programming at AMC. Wow. Uh, we didn't. We we ended up not. The funny thing about that is, is that it was a choice between. Well, maybe not a choice between, but like the, the shows that were being decided on. One of them was Moonhaven, and Moonhaven got made, and and my show Springfield didn't. And also, the showrunner of Moonhaven, Peter Ako, who has been another like again, if he calls and says we're going to war, I'm I'm I'll be there. I told um, you I was sitting next to him on a plane randomly. Yes, you know, he's on a amazing. Trip. I wasn't even sure I wanted to be on the trip. I was so mad yes. to be going on a trip. But <laughs> as soon as I realized I was sitting next to a showrunner, I yeah. was like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to be on this trip. <laughs> Yes, yes. And Peter's great. Like he, the AMC, after I wrote my first draft of of my show, they loved it. They were really excited about it. And this is also where I met Crystal. And again, Crystal is another, you know, like she's, I can't say enough good things about Crystal. Where do we assemble, Crystal? Where do we assemble? Yes, exactly, exactly. Call and I will be there. So yeah, Crystal and Carrie hooked me up with Peter because they were like, look, we're not writers. And Peter is, and he can teach you how to take this pilot to the next level. And so Peter came in and he read the pilot, loved it, and just had like three or four ideas. We workshopped them together. And like two weeks later, we had pretty much the pilot that went like really all the way. And that pilot has been strong enough. It's still my sample. It's still what I use. This all happened in 2018. I still use that pilot. The pilot landed me, my management. And and Carrie was so good that she introduced me to a bunch of managers, a bunch of agents. And I, you know, I could have signed with any any of them. They all wanted to sign with me and they were all great. But I decided this is a thing that like I think people don't talk about enough with TV writing. And I should also say, like, to to your listeners, like, I don't want to come off like an expert. Like, I'm just learning this stuff. And I'm just telling you the things that I've learned. I'm, That's all I, we ask. Yeah, I'm not. I am. I, I've been in this industry since 2018, and I don't know all there is to know. I'm just telling you my path. Mm-hmm. But I kept asking all my friends, like that were in TV, like, why do you have an agent instead of a manager? Why do you have an agent and a manager? Why do you have a manager and not an agent, and so forth? And the thing that I got from people is that a good manager helps you develop your material and helps you and gets you in front of people that can help take it to the next level, like help you, you know, get into shows or, or, or put you on somebody's radar, that type of thing. And my management, my management, the company's name is actually management. My company, my manager, Dan, Nate and Kareem, they've just been amazing. And so, but they've also like, they, you know, help develop my pitches we talk through some of my ideas. Wow. I tell them sometimes, like I, I'll call. It's fun, like it, it's one company, and I work with all three managers in the company. But somehow or another, I always like text Nate 
crazy ideas. What if I, and Nate will be like, yeah, no one's buying that. Or he would text back like, no, go deeper. You know, like, I mean, like we think it, it, it's great. And my understanding is, is that like agents, like I talk to my management every week, at least it usually they're short conversations. Usually it's just like checking in, how you doing? If I'm in a room, how's the room going? If I have ideas about stuff, we talk it through. Now I've been with my managers for a bit and sometimes they'll call me and pitch ideas to me. And yeah, and, and also I am, you know, now like in kind of a writing partnership on certain certain projects with her name is Tracy and Tracy, Tracy Scott Wilson. She's amazing. She, she's been doing this for years. She wrote the Jennifer Hudson, Aretha Franklin movie. Oh, I love that movie. I just showed yeah. that movie to my dad. Yeah, it's a good movie. The, 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 I love that movie. Yeah. So he's got the same manager as I do. And they were like, you guys have got a lot of overlapping interests. And we just kind of started working together on some things. So I'm, where I'm at now is I, I think I'm ready to also add an agent to the, because an agent like really helps you get work. Mm-hmm. But I felt for me, just trying to learn the industry and also trying to, figure out the craft. It was important that I got management first to kind of help me, you know, tackle that and then move on to adding an agent to the team. That is, wow. So much of what you said, it has my head exploding. We're going to come right back. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, but we'll be right back. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we are back with the incredible and multi-talented, hyphenate, hyphenate journalist, poet, podcaster, screenwriter, awesome person. Father. Right. And, and and the story you told us about how you get into the industry really illustrates why 
hearing how someone get into the industry is not always the answer for you because your experience was so specific and unique to you. And that's, that's often the case. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I I think that like, I think that the, the, the thing that people can take away from it is that while it is extremely individual, I also think that when the opportunity when the door opens, I walk through it. I like literally, like I do not, when, when opportunity comes my way, I, I, I got a call from my manager. Uh, it was probably like December. And he was like, Hey, I, I had a general with an executive a year or two ago, but she remembered me because I was a journalist and blah, blah, blah. And she, the, the executive asked my manager if I would be interested in thinking about a certain topic because this network really wanted to do a show on this topic. And Mm -hmm. it kind of brushed up against some of the journalism stuff that I do. And where my mind is, I'm a fantasy and sci-fi guy. Like that's all like I want to write, but I've been on shows that are not fantasy and sci-fi and I just love to write. So it's like, Steven, you were saying that our gathering, how much you love to write. And I remember thinking like, yeah, yes. Like I, I would remember thinking like, oh, these are my people because like, yeah, right, exactly. I just get such joy out of it. So when she asked if I would think about something, I thought about it and said, set the meeting because like that's an opportunity and I can figure out how to find my joy because it's doing the thing I love to do. Maybe that subject matter is not something that I would have normally picked up on, but it interests right. me. And and then when I had a meeting with her, she did not, she expected me to just come in and kind of, oh, so what are you thinking? I came in with a whole pitch and she mm. loved it. And then the next thing I know, like a week later, I'm pitching to her boss and now I'm waiting to hear what's going to happen with it and nothing may happen with it. But I think that like what it does is like for, for that network they know that like, oh, we can come to Al and he's going to be serious and he's going to work fast and he's going to take the opportunity. Because that's my thing is that like, if if you give me an opportunity, I'm, I'm going to step up and I'm going to do, I'm going to do the very best I can to, to answer it. And I think that that's what happened with the, the TV stuff is that like opportunity came and I stepped through the door. You know, it seems to me that there are technical skills that have to do with writing that are different if you're a novelist or a short story writer, then those skills that are necessary if you're working in television, which include your ability to get along with people, to be able to think (laughs) on your feet, to be able to, you know, be in a room and and respond to the ideas that are happening, to have an idea knocked down. And then from little hints that they give in the room to be able to reconstruct something on the spot, Mm -hmm. it makes them happy. Those are different sets of skills. And, I cannot help but think that the motion picture industry is the greatest communications machine that has ever existed in the human race. And I feel like writers from all over the world want to get into Hollywood. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are other nexuses like that around the world too, but Hollywood has got to be like a Mecca in that sense. So the amount of competition, that you're that you you're, you're you're facing. You have indicated when you talked about how if you were going to war, 
you would march with them. That indicates to me that you understand very clearly the value of networking and mentors and loyalty mm-hmm. and not being one of the people who stabs the, you know, that bites the hand that feeds you. Yeah. Uh, there is an unfortunate amount of that yep. in any industry, but this is the industry that I, that I've known the best in that sense. And loyalty, you know, you find somebody who is a good mentor who yeah. can actually point out the truth to you. Oh my yep. God, those people, yeah. there's, there is, there is no level of gratitude that is too much for how, how I feel. Yeah. The people who help me in those ways, you know, yeah. I love them as long as they live. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm agree. I'm sorry. No, I'm just agreeing. And you go on, you're the guest. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. I think that like, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough that vast majority of the showrunners I've worked with would have been just great. And, and I'm still friends, like real friends with these people. And they, you know, I've just learned so much from them. I've also learned that like, I think one of the hard things that I learned is that like the first room that I was in, I thought, because, you know, you guys know what it is. Like, rooms are intense. Mm-hmm. And because they're so intense, you make bonds with people. And what I found out is that, like, those bonds, like, a lot of people just pack those up and move on to the next show and don't carry them through. Mm-hmm. So that being said, like, I found, like, the people that, like, I can build with. Um, and then when I'm in a room, like also, like, I know that like, there are some people that like, I'll only talk to in context of this room, but we can figure out how to work really well together. And, and so, yeah, like I've just been fortunate enough and I, and I can't like thank Crystal enough for bringing all of us together because I, I think that like in order to really survive in Hollywood, especially as a black writer is to be able to have peers that you can, cause you need like a, a vow to like, whoosh, let all of it out, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. to somebody that's feeling the same pain that you can have that conversation to somebody Absolutely. that can help you strategize around things. And it, it's such a, a, a good thing, but yeah, I, I've, you know, go ahead, I, Steven, you're, you're muted. I didn't hear you. How many writer's rooms have you been in? I'm on my six now. Okay. Six. I would love it. Could you could you give us your five rules, seven rules, something like that? What are the most important things for people to understand about what writers' rooms are and how to survive within them, how to thrive within them? Including mm-hmm. the good, bad, and the ugly. That's right. Sure, sure. I think for good, bad, and ugly, for whatever it is, the number one rule is that your job is to serve the show that the showrunner wants to make. It's not your job to think about, if I was running this, this is what I would do. Everybody can do that, have fun at it, but like, don't bring that shit in the room. Like, Mm -hmm. your job in the room is to work for the showrunner and whatever show that he wants to make. And so for me, like, I'm going to push, pull, and think outside the box. I hate that saying, but like, you know, outside the box of maybe what exactly he has envisioned to help get to something. But also if he doesn't buy that or she doesn't buy that, then it's cool. Like I throw out a pitch. If you don't like it, cool. I'm going to throw out another one. I don't. So first one would be 
serve the showrunner and the the story that he wants to create. I think the second one is is just that is that like I never, I I actually really don't get tied to anything in the sense of, in this business in the sense that like so when I did my first when I had my first deal the name of the that with AMC was called Springfield. I love Springfield so much. And I thought that like, if Springfield doesn't get made, my life is over and Springfield never got made. And it just, but it did what it was supposed to do. It got me in the industry. It got me working. And now like, because of that example, like I'm, I just, I'm, I'm like grateful to be here and grateful for the work and that like, I am doing something that I enjoy. So if one of my pitches in the room doesn't go over or gets cut, I don't take it personal. Because like I'm doing something I love and I got more ideas. It'll mm-hmm. come. If if the show goes a different direction than, than like what I wanted to do, I will push back and I will give all sorts of ideas. But if those aren't taken and we're going where the showrunner wants to go, cool. Let's go. I'll figure out how to row in that direction. But I I I, I now I may call my buddy and bitch and moan about it to get it out. But like I don't bring that in the room. Right. So for like letting go and it's a practice of like letting go of ego. I, I I don't think about like, I've done this and I've done, I don't care. Like in the room, this is what we're doing. They didn't like that. Move on. So that's two. I, I would say three pitch, 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 pitch. I've heard so many people give advice like, oh, if you're new in the room, be quiet and, and just chime in occasionally. And I, I no, I think, listen, obviously, like know where the story is at, but pitch, 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 like throw out ideas. That's your whole job there. More, even more than writing, because what tends to happen when with a show is that like you get assigned an episode and chances are the showrunner will end up happening to change or rewrite it, especially the way rooms are run today, where it's like these short orders of eight episodes. So like you write your episode and then you're gone from the show and they're out filming in Vancouver or wherever and they have to make changes to the episode and you don't know anything about that and they're just doing their thing. And so it's like the ideas from your episode may stay the same, but what you wrote absolutely won't. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't talk about the show, but I can tell you that there was a show that I worked on that we're doing the second season of it now. And, and today is the first day that we started talking about it. And I was told that like the episode that like, oh, I worked so hard on, they were like, dude, that story shifted so much. And they told me all the things that have changed. And I was just like, Ah, that's not even my script anymore because like, mm-hmm. but some of the ideas and stuff are still there and it's like you can't get upset about that you just got to let it go and keep moving so your idea your your job your number one idea job is to be an idea generator and so i think that the pitching really like does that and and it also earns you respect you know because i think that people a lot of people are scared to pitch, especially when they first come into a room. And and that fear can freeze you into a place where you never really, you're not participating. You know, and and, and this just goes back to, you know, what we had talked about when we were having drinks on Reeve is that like the, to me, like I like to think of metaphors in a show. And then I like to pitch from that place of metaphor. If I can wrap my head around it. Can you give us an example? 
So, you know, like I heard a, a good one today. I heard that, like, I really love the Netflix Lost in Space remake. I love that thing. I just, I, I don't know. I just love it. Like the actresses and the actors and it. I just like, oh, I just love them. I want to be jam. a Robinson. Yeah, that's my jam. And in it, like in the first season, they land on a planet. And the planet, at the end of the season, the planet is like about to do some bad stuff and they've got to escape the planet. Their they're, they're, uh, ships are injured and they're trying to figure it out. And a writer on that show told me that the planet was the metaphor for the Robinsons. So that mm. like on the outside, the, the planet was beautiful and looked great. But on the inside, it was trying to kill everybody. It was like all screwed up and crazy things were happening. And so that metaphor of like all the craziness that happened on the planet was the internal craziness that was happening in the Robinson family. And so like they were linking those two together. And I just thought, oh my God, that's like, I didn't even pick up on that when I watched it. But now that when she said it, like it all kind of came into focus. And to me, that's why that season works so well. Mm-hmm. So it's like that kind of thing, like thinking about like what these metaphors are. Like if you're, I mean, hell, if I was telling, if I was like working on Scream, right? Like I would be thinking about like, what is the metaphor of Ghostface Killer? Like, what does he stand for in the world, mm-hmm. in, in in our world? Like what is, you know, and so it's like those type of things. And once you figure out that metaphor, you can begin to figure out how to pitch and even if, like like I said, with the Lost in Space, I didn't even see the metaphor, but it all made sense to me because, you know, we're all designed for story, whether we know it or not. And that thing just, like, it connects with us. So th- that's what I'm thinking Oh, my about. gosh. As you're, t- as you're telling that, now I, I better understand the reaction I got in the room when I when I used that yes. poem to yes. explain a metaphor. Yes, because it's not no, like it's going to probably go. mention the poem. No, I don't, I'm not I, to do with the, the show. Zippity doo man. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not doing it. A later date, but I want to say this: we've always known how lucky we were to have. Yeah. And it's not to say that we haven't been working, and it's not to say that we're not good at what we do. But there is an element of luck that is a part of Hollywood. And this opportunity came about at its core because of a piece of luck that has changed into something else and, and morphed into a relationship. We know we have a dream job. Okay. Mm-hmm. We know we have a dream showrunner. We know mm-hmm. we have a dream room. We know it's a dream project. We are walking mm-hmm. into that room every day, bursting with gratitude. But one thing that became clear after that meeting that Crystal put together is that not everybody has that. No, nightmares. that dream room. So what is a nightmare scenario in a room that yeah. you would describe? And what how, what advice would you give for a writer who is sorely disappointed by what they thought was their big break? I'm trying to think about how to say this without talking about a friend. friend. Yours, not to you. <laughs> <laughs> so a friend told me about this room that he was in that had many, many problems. I think that like, so I, I've been in a, 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 a room that I would classify as problematic. Mm-hmm. I, so I'm just going to speak for me because I know that maybe some of the things that I encountered in that room were not as bad as things that other people have encountered. But I would say that like this year I turned 50 and I right. am, thank you. I am like, I am so grateful that like 
you're right that like there's so much luck involved. Like I I I I do not want to take that away from the story about how I got into the industry. It was luck, like everything lined up. But I think you know, just like Two Face and, and Batman, like I make my own luck, right? Like right. like right. when that luck comes to you, you get it, right? Dan's I would say that, like prepared mind. Exactly, exactly. I I would say that like. I I had my community, my friends that I could talk to about the the ridiculousness in that room and how angry it made me and the bad things. But also I kept remembering that like, I'm getting paid a ridiculous amount of money. I've been, I am 50 years old and I can tell you that like I worked a job at a bread factory where it was my job to shovel the crumbs and well, that was part of my job. I was I was working at a bread factory, but I was actually undercover for a private investigator who was trying to bust somebody who was sexually harassing the young men that worked there. So oh. not only was I shoveling crumbs, but I was there to get hit on by this dude <laughs> that Jerry girl. It was a horrible job, a horrible job. I was treated horribly from both the private detective, the people that I was working with, and the oh. men. It was horrible. Horrible. Uh, and it, so for me, like the levels of horrible, <laughs> like, yeah, a writing room can be bad, but also I was getting paid a ridiculous amount of money that I used to help me move, to help me clear up a lot of financial things that I needed to get straight. And also like taught me a lot about the industry. And so for me, like getting into those, it's more like I find a place that I can vent. And then I think about like how I am using this money to help me in the future but also like how I'm using this room to help me with my career. So and I just try horror? to focus on those. You said horrible room, terrible room. What are some of the things that happen in horrible rooms? And once again, sure. you, can, you can reference what, yeah, you know, what yeah, your friends yeah. have told you. I, 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 I mean, I'll just, you know, because like most of my rooms have been great, just great. But one room, like the showrunner did not want to listen to anybody's pitches. He was, he would never... I mean, whoever, like rarely people say this, but he would never admit to his own racism and sexism. And it kind of showed up in the work. I am also at the age now where like I am, I will tell you about it and be honest about it. But I'm also not going to like, after I tell you, I'm not going to like keep, I, I I do not feel like I need to be the black whisperer for somebody who doesn't <laughs> right. want to, you know, but, but I'm going to tell you, like, I'm going to say like, this is why I think this is problematic and I'll leave it at that. Do you do that in the room or privately? It depends. It depends. I have, I... I think that that Peter would not mind me telling you this, but like when we were creating Moonhaven, Peter had this great vision and Peter is my dude, you know, and I just pulled him aside. I just pulled him aside and we were talking about race and I just had a really frank and open conversation with him about race. Something that like he probably hadn't thought about, like as a, a white guy who like, you know, hadn't really thought about this stuff because it's not something that like comes onto his radar. I was I was basically talking to him about colorism and how like you have mm-hmm. to be really smart about how you cast when you're casting your extras because if you cast a lot of light-skinned people and there are no 
dark-skinned people in the cast what you are saying by omission is that like in the future black folks like you know because i think that like initially it's like well it's the future everyone will be brown but there's brown and then you have your white leads right so right. it's right like, everyone's yeah, not brown it's right 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 <laughs> and so it's like but i don't think that like i know I, like Pete, like and if you look at moonhaven like it is diverse as hell like he listened to what I had to say. So, but, Hell yeah, but he I'm did. So- and he loves you, Al. Because when I yeah. met him on the plane and I said I worked on Horror Noir, he just lit up talking about you. Yes. Oh, my God. Listen, like, I have learned. I'm, I, ooh, I almost got choked up. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have learned so much from Peter Akko. Like, he is, he is literally the gift that keeps giving to me. He is, he is my friend. He, he is my mentor. And he's been my collaborator and we have learned from each other. So like that pulling him aside and saying, hey, and he's pulled me aside and said, hey. You I'm know, sure we, he has. Yes, totally. <laughs> but we can have those conversations. So I didn't do that in the room. It felt like that was a, a private thing that I wanted to talk through. Even though I don't actually think it was that big of a deal, it felt like I don't want this to get into the room and it become like a weird feeding frenzy that like you know so i you know i i pulled him aside other times though like with a showrunner that was not great about these issues oh no i would say it in the room and i because i wasn't comfortable like having a one-on-one conversation with him where i didn't have other people listening oh and and it's instructive for people in the room and and maybe supportive if you were lucky enough to have any other marginalized people in the room i don't know right and then also like you know I would say that this showrunner, you know, he's had a lot of success for a long time and that can take people out of like what humans feel and do on a day-to-day basis. Like if you are in the rarefied air for a really long time, it's hard to know how you don't even know how to navigate you know i mean so i think that like there was a lot of stuff that was difficult in the room and sometimes it'd be really hard when they don't listen to your pitches and not you know i'm in the rooms i'm in now this is the only room that i've ever been in that i would pitch something and feel like it was totally dismissed like Like, I can't even be bothered to talk about it. And that hurts, you know, like mm-hmm. when you're in a room and your pitch doesn't work, but you talk it through and people come in and try, that feels, you know, I don't mind that. Like, let that go if it doesn't work. But to be treated like, you know, why are you at this table is never fun. Ooh, it's an every know? time to walk away, Al. You talked about all the reasons to stay. Is it, when is it, or is it every time to walk away? You know, I'm so generation x like i'm just like you stay you get the money and you make changes the next time out i have friends of mine a good friend of mine who i have a a a really good friend of mine who went through hell in a room and she ended up staying but she stayed because the showrunner ended up getting fired and so that would be satisfying. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, but she wanted to go. She was like so close to leaving. And like, I've never dealt with the kind of stuff that he had to deal with. She had to deal with like, literally, he had one writer's room with everybody there, but then he would have another 
secret writer's room for a couple hours with only his chosen few. And they would do the real work that got into the season. So really, like, you spend your day throwing out ideas that aren't going to go anywhere because it's going to go to the quiet writer's room that, like, they actually... And and I've heard that story from several people that they've had to deal with stuff like that. Several people. I've never had to deal with that type of stuff. You know, I mean, like, the the bad room that I was in at one point I decided like we were this was during pandemic and it was mostly zoom and I just decided I'm going to see what happens if I don't say anything this week and nothing happened they didn't even realize that I was being quiet (laughs) so it's like are you kidding yeah okay that is hard to imagine that is well thank you so much for sharing those stories from your friends and from yourself we really Yeah, That's yeah. one of the reasons we wanted you on the podcast was when you were talking to us at the dinner. I felt so enriched and I know Steve did. So we're like, let's get this in you a know, bottle I, I, and share it. It feels as if a writer's room is an externalization of the process that any creative artist goes through. You have different sure. parts of your personality, different characters. And it feels to me that a showrunner is like a conductor yep. who is hiring people to play different instruments. But somebody, when I use that metaphor on Facebook, somebody said that, that their music coach told them, don't play the instrument, play the music. Mm-hmm. So what you're looking for is people who have their basic skills at a certain point, so they're not really having to worry about that. And then they can jazz, and then you can say mm-hmm. more, a little more here, a little less here, a little louder, a little softer. And you have to be able to roll with that. And if, this, if the showrunner is someone you can trust, then something beautiful will come out of that that is yep. greater than the sum of the parts. It sounds like you've had some wonderful experiences and you know, some that you would avoid today. Yeah, you yeah, got yeah. Paid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All of them got paid. Yes, like, right. There you go. And 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 thus we, you know, we talk about the elephant in the room. Now, yeah. the, like they're one of the reasons I encourage writers, prose writers, poets, whoever you are, if you like writing. Why not learn screenwriting? Because yes, it's very competitive. And no, maybe you don't want to follow the the paths of people you've heard horror stories from. But one day that phone might ring and someone says, do you write scripts? And and the difference between saying yes and saying no could be thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Before Uh, Al has his heart out, I'd like to find out how do you stay sane? Because that's an important part of this broadcast. How in the midst of the stress, how do you stay, how sane? Do you stay sane and balanced? You've got family, you've got career, you know, you look like a healthy guy physically. What do you do? I also like I can stay a little bit longer, so don't worry about the heart out. But I, I work out a lot. What kind of workout? I, I, I love weights. I love weights. And I, I'm like planning on right before the pandemic happened, like I was literally signing up to like take a multi. Oh, uh, great, lessons. great. Time yeah, but. Yeah, but then the pandemic came. And so, like, I think I'm going to get back to that. You know, I just got to figure out, like, the schedule. But, yeah, like, I, I just, I just, I I am very disciplined that I don't work on the weekends. I try to close my computer at five or six. The way, like, my house is designed is that, like, I have this little work area. And then right over on the other side of that bookcase is where my bedroom is. And because the work area and the bedroom area are so close together, I just kind of make a hard, like, yeah, after six o'clock, we're not going to go in that part of of the house. Like, you just have to, because I used to be a workaholic, and I think it was, 
I know it was to the detriment detriment of my kids. That How like old are your kids you now? know, oh man, like I got a squad. Like I got four of them. The oldest one I had him when I was seventeen. He is thirty one. My daughter is twenty four. My middle boy is twenty two, and then my youngest is graduating from high school. He's eighteen. Wow, nice! Yeah, so congratulations. Did, did, your son just graduated? Right? He did yes. last year. Yeah. We have a nineteen year old son and a yeah. thirty five year old daughter. Yeah. Yes, yes. So it's like, you know, but I think that like those years that like I was super driven, I would say there was like disconnection between me and the kids. And I, I you know, I don't want to go back to that. So like, I'm pretty disciplined about that stuff. And then I just try to remember that again, like the, the again, Peter Ako, he told me like, Al, it's just TV. If you can just remember that, that like, you're not doing world peace. It's just TV, <laughs> you know? It takes a lot of stress off you, you know? Yeah, it's not so, TV, it's HBO. Yeah, it's HBO, <laughs> but it's just HBO. <laughs> so, that so is yeah. great advice. That yeah. is great advice. Yeah. And I thank you so much for sharing that anecdote. That is actually super useful to me. And yep. I'm feeling a lot better about some decisions I'm making about my weekends already. Yep. Because yep. I deeply feel a need to recharge. Yeah. Yes. And, and the thing yeah. that a room can get you doing is that like, you know, I think one of the things that I, I should have said earlier in my top five is that the thing that I think really helped me in being in a room is that like, you know, for the last, you know, 15 years, I've been doing journalism and hosting and interviewing people. And you have to interview somebody, stay connected with the question you're asking and the answer that they're giving, but also thinking ahead about where you're going to take things based off of where that answer is going. It's like a, a, a you have to concentrate so specifically in a room so that you're hearing the pitch on the table, you're hearing what the showrunner wants to do, but another part of your brain is also thinking through all of that. And then another part of your brain is thinking like, how can I pitch to connect all of this? And if you can like listen, listen very well, but also connect like the thoughts of like how to take it further all in the same time, those are the most successful people in a room. Like, you you know, the, the people that you can see is like, oh my God, new writers that I see in rooms, a lot of times they, you can, they zone out a little bit in the room. And then when they zone back in, they've missed a lot and you can end up repitching something that's already been repitched, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's a, it's a thing of concentration, but that concentration is exhausting. You, you were saying that you guys are working like, four or five hours or whatever, and you're drained. It's because you're concentrating so hard. Like yes. it's more concentration than it is. Like when you're writing alone, like you don't have to, you can like, when I write alone, I like, right. <laughs> then I look at YouTube then I write, <laughs> you know, like you can't yeah. do that in a room, you know? And so like that level of concentration takes a toll. And if you're not careful, it will follow you on Saturday it will follow you on Sunday and then you're back in it on Monday and you've had no break. It's not, mm. it's, it's not good. Yeah. That's, that's, that. I'm Thank dealing you. with that this week. Cause I had to do some stuff over the weekend, but I'm not yep. going to let that happen again. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Al. I mean, it, it's such and, and about this time. We like to talk about what our rituals are, how we do it, how we set ourselves up to take care of our family and our bodies and our careers all at the same time. And, 
And what we have done is use something we call a morning ritual. It can, it can vary. There's part, part of it is journaling. Part of it is affirmations. But there's a very specific process that we talk about. It's the, the fire dance Tai Chi thing where we actually do affirmations while we're doing Tai Chi and then visualizing mentors and, you know, and flooding ourselves with gratitude and emotions. And one way or the other, different versions of this exist. But the idea of visualizing your goals and what it is that you want to do and your commitment to yourself and your identity while you are moving your body. You know, in, in any all kinds of move, you can run, you can walk, you can rebound. Tai Chi works really great. And that's part of, of our particular program. And it's just when this is when something is everything that you've ever hoped for, but it's also extremely stressful. You know that you may not be able to keep from getting wet, but in the storm, but you can get into the eye of the storm. So that all the pressure is still there, but you are as peaceful as you can be. And one of the things that's really great is that gratitude is the greatest antidote for stress in existence. Mm -hmm. Gratitude and just feeling, oh my God, I am so grateful to be here. Yes, it's tough, but this is what I have wanted since childhood. This, you know, it may, it, I chose this. Being able to reconnect with that is in, on it every single day and, and, and connect with how much gratitude I feel from, from my life. What's, what's your experience been? Oh, well, yes. Gratitude is fueling me, overfueling me at this point. It's leading to problems getting to sleep, you know, that kind of gratitude. <laughs> like the problem with being aware of how great something is in the moment is that you're aware in every moment. So, so yes, I have gotten more discipline about the morning ritual because it, it, none of this is theory anymore. It's, it's definitely being put to practice. Going to bed 45 minutes earlier is not comfortable for me at all. Like, like we're hitting bed by 11. I'm used to being up to like midnight, 11:45. So that's a big adjustment for me, but, and the compressed time before we have to get on the road. I have to, you know, if if I if there's an email I'm planning to answer, or what kind whatever. of workouts can we do in the morning? If, we got a you know, eight yes. minute workout, ten yeah. minute workout that works, so fifteen we, minute workout that works. But because of all that, because of all that intentionality, I'm I'm flossing more because that's part of my morning ritual now. I'm doing yoga like on a regular day with you now, where we just every Monday that's what we do. You know, we're doing. I'm working out more because. <laughs> Because we're doing three of those, you know, before yeah. we leave in the morning. And then I do one on the weekend. So, so all I can say. Yes. And the tai chi, is, yeah, the Tai Chi is also very helpful. I'm a new student. Sorry to interrupt you, but I don't want to okay. forget about the Tai Chi because that's something that is memory, you know, which is very helpful. Mindfulness and the movement, you know, the relationship with the body changes as you get older. You have to get reacquainted. And yeah, the way I look at that is that when you're young, <laughs> your your physical health and energy is like an ocean. It's just you just never run out of it. When you get older, it's it's more like a river, and then it gets to be like a stream. And what you have to do is you have to kind of find the the place in the stream that's the deepest, and you stay you stay there, you know. And eventually, it'll be a trickle, and probably one day <laughs> it'll just dry up altogether. But, <laughs> but, but the thing is, the thing that's crazy is that people follow these narratives about how we're supposed to feel 
Like, well, of course your back is sore. You're in your late thirties. It's like, what? <laughs> no, that's not, that's not actually a thing that we have to accept. So no, we can do yoga and we can do Tai Chi and we can do mobility. I just think there's just way too much acceptance that our bodies are just not what well, they there need. are people just waiting to fall apart. You know, they, they just, they just really are. And, you know, I know that, that this stuff saved my life when I combined the affirmations and the visualization and just, you know, feeling gratitude and sit out loud saying, you know, I'm so grateful for a strong, healthy body, you know, while I'm moving, I'm so grateful for the people who love me and trust me, my son, Jason and daughter, Nikki, and my beautiful, brilliant wife, Tananarive. And I'll just go through these things and say these things out loud until I can really feel it. Because the last thing that you want to do is to one day down the road, look back and say, you know, those are really good days. I wish I had been smart enough to realize how good those days were. How about feeling grateful for your good days now? Got to start right if, now. If, if, if you're walking into a room and you're already grateful to be there and you're going to do your best work and you're committed to having fun and contributing and helping other people there, I cannot help but think you're going to do your best work. You're going to engage more deeply because you're, you, don't have to, you don't have to exert discipline to eat sushi. You know, if you when you love something, you focus on it automatically because you love it. So every moment I'm in that room, as long as I'm feeling grateful, then I just want to suck up everything that's happening there. Everything that somebody says, this may be the most important thing I've ever heard. This may be the most important thing that gets said today. This may be the thing that changes my life. There's always something to be grateful for. And the more grateful you are, the more you have to be grateful for. So I would love it. If people would take a look at, at the Firedance Tai Chi program at www.firedancetaichi.com. And it's a fantastic program. And it's a digital download course. Let me brag about it, honey, because you're the, the the guru. So, you know, it's hard for you to <laughs> brag about yourself. But I've been married to this man for 23 years. And it's so great to see him in this different light as a teacher. And I mean, I, we've taught each other in terms of writing, God knows, because we've been collaborating for so long. But to really just sort of, as Steve will say, empty my cup, <laughs> I don't know crap about Tai Chi. You've been doing this every day and I just never paid any attention to it. And so it's not just that he's so exquisite with the lessons and the motion. It's the life lessons. It's the advice. It's like you're a different person, honey. It's like you could be sitting in the living room watching TV and I'm annoyed about something, you know, that happened earlier. But when I'm listening to the video, it's not you. You know what I mean? It's like, it's my Tai Chi teacher. And, that, you know, that is a good point. That, that's, that's good. <laughs> then I need to feel more grat gratitude in this moment. So, yeah. I have w been so grateful for my life and my career and the teachers who got me here. I love sharing the things that they shared with me. And some of them are just how to live a high energy, creative lifestyle. Anyway, enough about that stuff. No, not www. enough about that. Firedancetaichi.com. Yeah, www.firedancetaichi.com. Al, where can you have a website? Is there a way people can get in touch with you or find out more about you? Are you on the uh, gram? I am. I'm. I'm. I've like kind of. I'm on social media, but I've kind of retired from it only because I realized that arguing with people who have no effect on my life is an act <laughs> of insanity. Like I'm good, but I do have a website. Just my name, alletson.com. 
I have not actually looked at it in a while. So who knows? Yes, what's what's the most important thing you got coming up next? And you know I'm trying to think like what I can talk about. Yes. I can't talk about any of it. I mean, well, that sounds so wonderful. Great stuff. You yeah, can't even talk I, about I, it. That's the best kind of stuff to have. It's just lots of great stuff. Yeah, I, I will. I will tell you guys offline, but yeah. I, I will say that I got lucky enough to work with a intellectual property that I have loved since I was a kid. Oh, and, uh, and that's been a thrill. Who knows? You know, I mean, the thing about this industry is you. You can work on something for years and like absolutely nothing happens with it. So, but I'm just enjoying playing in that world. Well, I cannot I, wait to get off this to, to end of the show so you can tell us what it is. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, so thanks for being on. You've been such a great guest. And, and I forgot, it's been a while since we did the Pipecast Live. So I forgot to play our What's Going On music, which is how we used to start the <laughs> podcast. But we had such a great visit today. I feel like this is the music to take us out. Thank you so much for being here, Al Letson. And here we go. Thank you. Click us at church. Thank you to our guest, Al Letson, and see you next time on the Life Writing Podcast. Remember, make yourself the hero or heroine of your own story. The hero in the adventure of your lifetime. Take care. Bye-bye, everybody. Oh, audience, hello. All right, there we go. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life. Hi, my name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I am Kristen Russo. And together, we run Buffering, a rewatch adventure a family of podcasts moving through our favorite 90s genre television. If you're a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, well, great news for you. Our very first podcast adventure took us through all seven seasons of the series. We covered it spoiler-free, episode by episode. For those of you who want to start the show for the first time, you can find that podcast pretty easily. It's called Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Inside that podcast, you'll also find an original song that pairs with each glorious episode of Buffy, and original character jingles for so many of our Buffy favorites. Buffering has been praised in places like Time, Esquire, Paste Magazine, and the New York Times, and we've chatted with dozens of cast members, writers, directors, and fans along the way. Come hang out and rewatch some of your favorite television with us and a wonderful community of listeners. Learn more at BufferingCast.com or find us on socials at BufferingCast.